Welcome, everyone, to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at The Score. We got a lot to go over on today's show. We're getting you ready for week 11 on the fantasy calendar. Just a few weeks left in the fantasy regular season. And then we're going to get into the games that actually matter. Playoff action, finally. But since we have so much to cover here, I don't want to waste any time off the top. I want to bring my guest in right away, and I'm so glad to have him back. It's Scott Fish, the creator of the world-famous Scott Fish Bowl, which... In addition to being one of the most fun fantasy leagues that I'm a part of right now, it also helps raise money for his charity, Fantasy Cares. But Scott is also an outstanding fantasy analyst. We had a great time when he was on last year. And maybe one of the best fantasy football commissioners out there. I think I can say that. He runs Safe Leagues. He hosts the Commission Impossible podcast. Has a radio show, Fantasy Football Weekly in Minnesota. He's the co-host of Fanball Weekly on Sirius. I feel like I could spend... 10 minutes here just going over everything he does in the industry but if you want to check it out you could just go follow him on twitter at scottfish24 he is a very busy man so we are extremely grateful that he's joining us today scott welcome back to the show man wow that is that is an intro thank you very much that's uh and and fantasy football weekly is now uh syndicated nationally it's not just minneapolis it's nice very busy busy time for me (laughs) congratulations well you're gonna have to update the twitter bio then (laughs) i will i'll have to do that Nice. Well, I will be honest with you. Normally we would start off, we jump right into football. But the other day I'm on Twitter and I see a tweet pop up from you saying it's your five-year heart attack anniversary. And we don't have to go into the details if you don't want to, but I am curious what you took away from that experience because your tweet was very nice and it talked about how you should be very appreciative of what you have in your life. And having interacted with you a few times here over the last few years, I love how appreciative you are of everything and, and, you know, how charitable, of course, you are as well. Have you always been that way or was the heart attack kind of a game changer? You can talk as much or as little about it as you want. You know, I, I feel like I've always been this way my my entire life. Just, uh, you know, as far as the charities thing about the, you know, trying to be philanthropic, trying to do good. Like I've had this lifelong belief that you do good, th- you do good, you, you work hard. Uh, and, and good things will come for you. And uh, so I feel like I've always had that. But I think after the heart attack, um, and, and I didn't see it coming. No one saw it coming. I was, I was 35 years old. I was, I'm, I'm 6'2", 6'3". I was about 215 pounds at the time, which is, you know, not the build you expect or the age you expect for a heart attack. So it, uh, it kind of came as, as quite, a, quite a shock. And I, I think it, it amplified my efforts to uh, not worry about uh, – small things that make you angry and, and, you know, focus on the things that you enjoy in life and, uh, and that make you happy. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the best attitude to have whatever way you get there. That is the best attitude to have. It's not just being appreciative of the things in your life though. It's also giving back to your charity. It's the time that you take to organize Scott Fishbowl, which I know is a labor of love. And I know we've talked about, it. I know how much time that takes you. Oh, and I mean, yeah. this year you got 1200 teams in the Scott Fishbowl. First time ever, just massive. I would assume that means we're headed towards a record number of donations for fantasy cares, right? Oh, we've, we've well hit it. Uh, last year we had about 45,000, 44,500. This year we're well over 60,000 already. It, it hit 60,000 a few weeks ago. And uh, I kind of closed down uh, the donations this time of year because, I mean, this is my side job. I, <laughs> I, I need to, you know, get the money straight and organized and sent out to different areas around the country to shop for toys for kids. Uh, so I kind of shut down donations now till the end of the year. 
but uh, yeah, it's sixty th- over sixty thousand this year. Just phenomenal, man. That is so awesome. And I will say on behalf of everybody in the fantasy industry, we thank you so much for what you're doing. It is just fantastic. I will also say from a personal standpoint, this is the best regular season performance I've ever had in Scott Fishbowl. (laughs) Not to totally switch away here from the charity stuff, but I'm 22nd out of 1,200 teams right now. So I'm very excited about that. A big reason for that is Lamar Jackson. I think I got him in like the sixth or seventh round. And for anybody who doesn't know, Scott Fishbowl, it's a two quarterback format. So I was very happy that he turned out to be a top five guy, top three guy, maybe even. And this week he's going against another top five quarterback, another MVP candidate in Deshaun Watson of the Texans. The weird thing about these guys though, what I want to ask you about here, and this is the point everybody we're switching into the football talk. So don't worry, but it's weird with how prolific these quarterbacks have been, these two specifically in fantasy, that they aren't supporting that many fantasy relevant assets in their passing attacks, right? And I yeah. know the, the rushing thing is a big part of it, but Jackson just got Marquise Brown back. And while Brown was out, the Ravens, they didn't really have a receiver that stepped up at all into a big role. They have Mark Andrews, the tight end. He's really been their only consistent option. And then you have Watson, who... Started off slow with DeAndre Hopkins, but now Hopkins is starting to produce there. And I mean, Darren Fells is also doing some stuff, but it's mostly just touchdowns. He's not doing much in terms of yardage. So for fantasy purposes, it feels like top quarterbacks normally have more guys around them that are producing. And I know, like I said, the the rushing is obviously a big part of their production. But do you think here we're getting down to the end of the season? Is anyone else going to step up in these passing attacks? I mean, not just this week, but moving forward. Because when you look at uh, an offense like the Chiefs, let's say, with Patrick Mahomes, it seems like anyone that's around Mahomes is worth fantasy consideration. So is there anyone we should be looking at in these two offenses for the Ravens and the Texans? Yeah, you know, it's 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 weird. Uh, Mark Andrews, I believe, is tight end four on the year right now, which, you know, in this, this tight end landscape, that doesn't seem that hard to do anymore <laughs> to, <laughs> to rank highly as a tight end. Hopkins is wide receiver seven. Uh, Stills, QT, Fuller, they've all been injured so much that uh, I think teams were, easy, were, were having a little easier time trying to uh, blanket Hopkins, and maybe that's why tight, tight ends for Houston have eight touchdowns on the year. They had four touchdowns last year total. Uh, so I think the tight ends feasted a little bit with all those injuries and, and a little bit of the coverage on Hopkins. You know, he went through that, what, five or six game scoreless streak, which five games, which was the, the worst streak of his career without a touchdown. That positive regression is coming. It's going to continue to come and he'll continue to produce. Uh, I think with Fuller coming back, Fuller, Fuller's been pretty inconsistent this year. He had one big game and the rest of his games are under 70 yards. But if he comes back and, and is healthy, he's going to be able to take the top off of some of these defense coming defenses coming up. I, I think he's a guy that, for some reason, got dropped just enough that he was about he's about fifty five percent owned, something like that. Uh, he, he's a guy that could that could make some make some hay at the end of the season here. Um, yeah, on the other side, I mean, it's hard to get excited, right? It's hard like to Willie get excited Sneed. about anyone with. I with, like Miles Boykin. I have him in Dynasty, but right, like, yeah. Uh, I guess Marquise Brown is interesting this week, maybe, because speed guys like, you know, Hilton and Tyrell the Gazelle and, and Ted Ginn had some big days against Houston. So maybe Brown can get de- deep this week. But it's been really inconsistent. You almost can't even trust, and even though he's tight end four, uh, Nick Boyle stepped up <laughs> for a couple games, you know? Yep. So it, it's it's very weird year for both of them, but uh, they are getting it done. I'm not sure how many other assets are going to be very viable at a consistent basis, though. 
Well, it's going to be a fun one there between Baltimore and Houston. That yeah. game has a 50-point total. Another game that's above that 50-point mark, Falcons, Panthers. Oh, yeah. But to assess that one, we really kind of need to figure out which Falcons team is going to show up. Is it going to be the one that we saw most of the season that can't get pressure on the quarterback, that gives up a ton of points, really forces their offense to play catch-up all game? Or is it going to be the team that we saw come off their bye last week, held the Saints to nine points, sacked Drew Brees six times? It was like a completely different defense. Which Falcons team are you expecting in Week 11? Yeah, I think the one we've seen most of the season is the real team. I mean, this... This uh, this Falcons Saints the Falcons Saints game was was kind of their Super Bowl except for they didn't blow a twenty five point lead. It's uh, they, they got up for it. They 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 see this team twice a year. Uh, I I'm not I'm not taking that as much as the the Falcons team that we think it is. And, and now they're they're going to be missing Austin Hooper for a month. And I, I'm a guy that likes to say that you know rising tide raises all boats, and the same goes the reverse when when you lose it when you lose a main asset of your offense. Austin Hooper was has just been unreal this year. I think that's going to tank their production a little bit. I think. I think we're going to see more the the one in what was it the one in seven team that we saw the first eight weeks of the season, uh, Matt Ryan where where Matt Ryan had to lead the league in pass attempts in those eight games just to keep up with opponents. I, I think that's the team we're going to see, and it's probably going to lead to a lot of offensive output uh, <laughs> if we're honest, especially in a game like this. Well, like you said too, it's not just a Hooper injury. Devonta Freeman also yep, sidelined. Yep. He's got the foot sprain. That puts Brian Hill into the starting lineup. And it's a really nice matchup with the Panthers. I talked about this in the waiver wire show this week, but the Panthers have given up 10 touchdowns to running backs in their last three games. And I know a lot of that, you know, it was like four touchdowns to Tevin Coleman and three touchdowns to Aaron Jones. But if Brian Hill's going to be the one who's going to get 20 touches here, and that's what he got last week after Freeman went out, he could have a huge game. Are you a Brian Hill believer? I am for this matchup, that's for sure. <laughs> I, every year it seems like we have these guys that do this at the end of the year, these C.J. Andersons and Tim Hightowers and, and guys that just you know come in when there's an alien starter in front of them and they, they have some big weeks propelling you either into the playoffs or during your playoff run uh, for fantasy. But I mean that ten that ten touchdowns, even though it's buoyed by, the, by those two good good uh, those two big games there. Uh, over the course of the season, Carolina is still allowing the most touchdowns in the NFL. Uh, not just that, nine running backs have averaged 13 touches against, uh, or have had 13 touches against the Carolina Panthers. Those nine running backs averaged 92 yards and combined for 12 touchdowns, <laughs> scoring an average of 19.5 fantasy points in PPR. 13 touches is a really low mark to yeah. hit those numbers. So uh, I, I don't think there's any way Brian Hill hits less than that. He might, I don't, I'm not going to say he'll double it, but I think, like you said, 20 is very, very well within the wheelhouse. And if he gets 20 touches, it'd be hard to imagine less than or fewer than 20 fantasy points in this one. And I'm, I'm a big Brian Hill fan. I had him in my deep sleepers column before the season. So I have a vested interest here. I want to see him do well. And when I was ranking him, it was hard not to put him in the top 20. I think I ended up having him around uh, RB 17 or so. And really, he could probably move up a couple spots before Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, <laughs> based on based on what those other nine running backs did with uh, a similar or lar- or same amount of touch count against the Panthers, it's a really good spot for him. Well, I mentioned the Saints getting pushed around by the Falcons. I really thought it was funny. Evan Silva established the run. He brought up the idea that Sean Payton got engaged 
before that game and that it was just a big party that week in New Orleans and that might have contributed to them being a little sluggish in that game. It's a funny idea. That's, I don't know if that's, that's actually true, but I didn't even see that. That's great. It's pretty funny, but um this spot they're coming back to here, it's just about as soft and favorable as you could ask for going up against that Bucks defense. I know they're tough against the run, but their pass defense is absolutely non-existent. Yeah. So looking at this game, it's just a perfect bounce back spot. I'll, I'll phrase it this way. Should we feel bad for what Breeze and Michael Thomas and Jared Cook and company are going to do to Tampa this week? <laughs> no, no, we shouldn't at all. It's it's great for fantasy. And Tampa is the kind of kind of team that you like being put in that spot. I, I, I love Tampa having this bad pass defense, just like they did last year. It, it led Ryan Fitzpatrick and uh, Jameis Winston to just a ton of 300-yard games. I think... I think Jameis Winston has 300 or more yards in six of his last seven, if I'm remembering correctly. I'd, I'd have to double check that, but I, I think that's accurate. Uh, these kind of games, we want we want a team like Drew Brees to bounce back against Tampa Bay because it's good for the other side. It's good for Winston. It's good for it's good for Evans and Godwin. And for some reason, Ronald Jones can catch the ball now. I don't remember that in college. So, uh, yeah, the Bucks being 32nd against quarterbacks, 32nd against wide receivers, 31st against tight ends but the the one spot is their run d isn't a joke it, it, for some reason it's re- and it's not just uh running backs they don't try to run on on the bucks uh no the 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 attempts against the bucks are you know middle of the pack people do try to run on them they're only allowing 3.3 yards per carry they're top six in in a just a ton of categories against fantasy running backs I might be a little worried about Kamara and and Murray here. I think it's going to be a very pass-heavy game. Which might still be fine for Kamara. I could still see Kamara doing something in the the passing game there. But yeah, when I did my rankings, Latavius Murray, who has been a little higher, uh, not just recently when Kamara was out, but even with Kamara back, I still had him ranked fairly high last week. And yeah, I dropped him down. I think sort of a fringe RB3, more of like maybe just a deep flex play kind of thing this week. We also have the Patriots who are looking to bounce back, just like the Saints. The Patriots, though, it was delayed a week because they lost to the Ravens and then they had their bye to just sit there and stew about it. (laughs) We only have a small sample size of the offense with Mohamed Sanu there, but 10 catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown against the Ravens. It was an extremely positive sign. It's also hard to trust that result, though, because Ravens secondary is very good, Mm -hmm. and that might have had an impact on how the target share was given out in that game, right? So how are you projecting that Patriots receiving course shaking out the rest of the season, obviously with Edelman and Philip Dorsett as well? I hate that we're at the point where I have trouble not just projecting the the Patriots running backs, but also the wide receivers. I mean, (laughs) I guess James White has been pretty steady Eddie for the last couple of years in PPR, but... Right now, it just feels like it's it's all the Edelman and Sanu show. If if last the their last game anyway tells us anything, and maybe that was game script. We got to remember we got Nikhil Harry coming back in a couple weeks, and they they're getting Ben Watson a little bit more involved. I think Edelman's you know the safe, trustable guy. I think Sanu, who has been known throughout his career, I mean it's it's a well known fact that he's like a bookworm. He like he is just into the playbook. He's a real good guy and he's a very hard worker, a a studier of the game and the play group, playbook. So it doesn't surprise me that he was able to within 2 weeks become a very relevant fantasy wide receiver for the Patriots where other wide receivers, rookies especially, but other wide receivers that have come in free agency have had had a little bit more trouble. Um 
I, I would not be shocked if Edelman and Sanu are good for, you know, seven to 10 targets per game for the rest of the season. Uh, I think they like what they have and like what they can do on offense with those two guys. Yeah, I think looking at Edelman, still going to be that high-end yeah. wide receiver too. And then the other two guys, they're going to be around that wide receiver three range. And this mm-hmm. offense, they're going to throw, especially when you look at their playoff schedule and they have that matchup with KC, which obviously you got to think of week 14, that could be a shootout. And then Denver, which, you know, you could throw on Denver. Someone's going to get covered by Chris Harris, but the rest of the guys, you can still throw on them. And Chicago's defense hasn't been as tough, but that week 14 game against KC could be a big one for fantasy playoffs. Looking at another week 11 storyline here, though, Nick Foles making his return to the lineup against the Jags. I know everybody fell in love with Gardner Minshew. And then he flopped in that London game right before the bye. I think if that was a game, if he had come out, and he should have, he was going up against a banged up Texan secondary. If he had come out in that game and put up a big one, I think he might still be starting. But as it is now, Foles is back in the lineup. The bigger question, though, is how is this going to change the offense? Seems like Fournette probably going to be in a similar spot there, right? DJ Mm -hmm. Shark, though, we saw him break out with Minshew under center, and we know Foles had a bit of a connection with D.D. Westbrook, even though it was kind of a small sample size there as well, going back to the preseason, but Westbrook probably going to return this week as well. Should we expect anything different from this offense with Foles under center? Is it going to be kind of similar to what we saw with Minshew, you think? You know, I think it's going to be closer to similar. Maybe Nick, I feel like Nick Foles has a little bit better of a deep ball. We saw in week one, he, he hit, he hit DJ Chark for a 21 yard completion. He hit him for a 35 yard TD that, that the touchdown in week one to two Chark was from Foles. Uh, I, I, you mentioned the DD connection early on and he is a speedster that can get, get deep and pass people. Uh, I do like, I, I'm personally a guy that I, I thought after watching that last game, I thought Foles should come back. Uh, I felt if if Minshew had a really good game, then maybe he stays. But uh, Minshew had uh, had faltered quite a decent amount in the games leading up to that as well, and and a decent amount of turnovers. Uh, Foles with him with him in there, I'm not sure how much I'm changing my outlook on on these players. I, I think they're all. You know, fairly startable dart throws, more like more likely in your flex spots. DJ Chark is probably startable most weeks anyway. He's he's just been he's just been that good enough to be a wide receiver three in, in most games this season or better. Uh, but I feel like uh, in their <laughs> coming up later in the season, it's a really good spot for all of these guys if you go get them now before your trade deadline, or or if any of them are available on your waiver wire, especially Foles. Uh, because they get Tampa in week th- week 13, uh, maybe just to get you in the playoffs there. And then in week 15, 16, they have Oakland and Atlanta. It's about as good as it gets, yeah. yeah. Those are some pretty good matchups, you know, three out of the last four weeks for you. So I, I'd, be, I'd be looking to slightly invest in, in any of those guys if you can get them cheap right now. Yeah, and for anyone, like, I think at this point in the year, if you don't have a set quarterback... And you need to start kind of mapping out exactly who you're going to play. I've been doing that in a couple leagues. And I was looking at Matt Stafford, who gets Tampa in week 15. That that league I'm expecting to have a bye. So hopefully Stafford will be back healthy by then. And he could take advantage of that Tampa matchup. But Foles could be someone that's on your radar for those games as well. He could be a guy that you're not really expecting him to have huge games. But he could give you QB1 numbers in those matchups. 
Yeah, absolutely. And even even in Dynasty, uh, you can you could probably get Nick Foles cheaper than you'd expect to get a starting quarterback because of Minshew sitting there and pot, and people thinking maybe Minshew's the starter next year, maybe not. The the concern that Minshew comes back if Foles falters, uh, you could probably get Nick Foles pretty easily on the cheap in in Superflex and Dynasty leagues right now as well. Well, and Foles potentially faltering is kind of a good point, right? Because players coming back from injury. It doesn't always work out so well, unfortunately. Right. We saw David Johnson come back last week, and Oof. I don't know if he was feeling the heat from Kenyon Drake, you know, having that big game against the 49ers, thinking he might lose his job or something, but he came back. He didn't look healthy at all. No. Five carries, two yards, one catch for eight yards, had a fumble in that game. Now he's got to go back up against the 49ers. Now, we saw Drake have success against them, but the version that we saw of Johnson last week, I don't know that he's going to be able to do much against these 49ers. And Drake's game was phenomenal. I mean, 19 touches, 162 yards from scrimmage and the score there. And I will say, I mean, Melvin Gordon looked very sluggish when he came back from his holdout, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a situation like that where Johnson was out a couple games and he comes back and he needs to sort of work himself back into shape. I'm hoping, but either way, with both these guys splitting time now and with the tough matchup, can we trust either Drake or Johnson in our lineups this week? Well... I can't trust Johnson right now. <laughs> and the way he looked, it looked like he was still concerned about the ankle. I don't know if it was pain in the ankle or just, you know, when you have an injury, you, te- you tend to be a little more cautious with it. And uh, maybe he was running with that because he did, he looked, he looked slow. He didn't look explosive. It, it, yeah. And granted it's a small sample size, but you know, just five carries, but he did not look great. Um, on the Drake side, I think I'm trusting him here uh, just because of what he did against San Francisco two weeks ago. Uh, the 49ers are probably going to gonna try to you know account for that. But, I mean, the 49ers' run defense, has they've really not been the same, same since Quan Alexander uh, went out. And he went out early in that, in that Cardinals game. Uh, over the last three weeks, um, well, over the last five weeks, the 49ers' defense has, has been kind of middle of the pack. Even though they're fourth on fourth on the season against running backs, they've been middle of the pack over the last five games and bottom 10 over the last three weeks. Uh, three straight running backs topped 100 total yards against them. Uh, the game before those three, even Adrian Peterson had 81. Uh, Drake has had 10 grabs on his 11 targets in his two games with the Cardinals. I think... In, in PPR leagues, Drake is still startable against this 49ers defense that has not been as good of late. And without Quan Alexander now out for the season, uh, I think I think that run defense has that has holes, and especially with passes over the middle. And it's crazy, but I have a dynasty league where I have David Johnson. I also had Carryon Johnson, who was hurt. But this week, set in my lineup, I'm going with Brian Hill. I'm going with Philip Lindsay. I'm going with Damian Williams, and I'm going with Raheem Mostert all oh, over David Johnson, and I'm putting him on my bench, which seems wild. <sighs> if you had told me that before the season, I never would have believed you. Yeah, with 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 Breda for this week, with Breda uh, out this week or probably out this week. Uh, yeah, that's I can see Mostert getting a decent run. The last that's game I want to ask you about here: the Monday Nighter, the Chiefs, the Chargers going down to Mexico. This one is very simple: highest point total of the week, fifty-two point five. Is there anyone in that game that you aren't willing to start in fantasy this week? I don't think so. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm probably starting just about anyone on either of the teams. Uh, it is interesting to me. Did you know that no Chargers wide receiver has scored a touchdown since week three? 
I no, I didn't. I mean, I guess if you think about it for even a few seconds, you realize that. But yeah, no, I hadn't thought about that at all. That, yeah, that's crazy to me. They only have three wide receiver touchdowns all season. Of course, all of them were Allen because you know Mike Williams just ten touchdowns last year. Can't seem to score this year, right? Uh, but the, the the weird thing is the Chiefs and the Chargers. They've only allowed two wide receiver touchdowns each over the last six weeks. They're just wide receivers are not scoring touchdowns. I think that comes to a head here. I think I think that this one is going to be such such a point fiesta or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think the line's 52 or 50, 52 and a half, somewhere in there right now. Um, KC is averaging 28 points per game. The Chargers are averaging 20 points per game. Uh, both teams are bottom four against running backs over the last five. They are both, both have stud tight ends that are going to rip it up no matter who the matchup is. Uh, I, I think I got to start just about everyone and, and people will still take flyers on, on guys like Nicole Hardman, who could have a huge, you know, one huge play if, if with the, with green Bay and the giants and Seattle and Tennessee on by, um, you, you might be, you might be in need for some players. Uh, Sammy Watkins is probably startable, but yeah, most of the players in this game are, are very startable in, in what should be a, uh, you know, a lot of points on Monday night. The only thing that scares me, and I agree with you, I would be playing as many guys as I can in this game. The only thing that scares me is Philip Rivers hasn't looked very good this year. No, he really hasn't. I, when you said the thing about the receivers, I immediately went to Rivers and went, oh, maybe it's his fault, right? Like, he has not looked very good. And I, I do worry, like, even in a matchup against Oakland last week, where you thought going into that one, he was set up perfectly. You know, the Raiders, one of the worst pass defenses out there. And he comes out and starts throwing interceptions and, you know, doesn't even have that great of a game against them. So Chiefs are better pass defense than that. So he would be the only thing I'd be a little worried about in that one. Yeah, I can I can see the concern there. I mean, the Chiefs have allowed multiple touchdowns in three straight and, and an average of like 260 yards over the last three. Uh, but that was Rodgers, Cousins, and somehow the resurgence of Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> Well, we always wrap things up by uh, trying to help fantasy owners recognize the players who aren't getting the respect they deserve in that particular week. So which players do you think are being overlooked in week 11? So I have this dynasty mindset and I have this uh, very deep league mindset. So I'm going to go much deeper than I probably ever should. I like it. I Uh, I get a hard time for that in this section as well sometimes. So go for it. I'm going to go way deeper and I'm going to go with a couple of them here. Uh, Russell Gage to me in that Atlanta matchup, he has 11 catches on 14 targets over the last two weeks since Sanu left. And now with Hooper out, he should kind of own the middle of that field. So I, I really like him there. And the second guy I want to mention is maybe Hunter Renfro. It's a really good matchup against Cincinnati. They've allowed six wide receivers over 50 yards in the last three, including four scores. Renfro was coming on recently, and he's been a little bit better with Tyrell Williams back. He's scored in two of the last three. He's, uh, I believe he's led the team in targets over the last three weeks, uh, 16 or 17 targets. Uh, he's getting some major run, and the Cincinnati matchup is just a really good matchup. If you're really hard-pressed and, and you can't find anyone to fill that last flex spot, uh, either of those guys have, have decent uh, chances to, to put up an okay PPR day. Well, I'm going to stick in that Cincinnati game, but I will say most weeks in this one, I do what you just did and I go extremely deep and normally the guest often doesn't. The guest sort of picks people that are a little more well-known. So trying to cover all bases, right? This week, I do have at least one guy that is very well-known. So don't give me a hard time, but I got a few here. So we cover the wide spectrum. But the guy in that Cincinnati game, I got two, but one is Joe Mixon. And I know everybody knows who Joe Mixon is, obviously, but 
I've been very down on Joe Mixon all year long, and it hasn't just been because that Bengals offensive line is really bad. It's a big part of it's been his usage, right? He was essentially splitting time with Gio Bernard, but now Bernard's banged up. And last week, I can't even understand why, but even when they were down, they just kept running the ball. I know. I guess it was because they're just trying to, you know, hide the the rookie quarterback and they don't want to put too much on him. I don't know. But Mixon had 30 carries and two receptions in a game where they trailed pretty much the whole game there. So if that's the workload he's going to get and in a matchup with the Raiders who are better against the run than they are against the pass, but it's a game that the Bengals could at least potentially stay competitive in. Mixon ends up back in that fringe RB2 discussion there. And the other guy I'll mention in that game is Auden Tate. And that's because mm-hmm. he's a guy that, with A.J. Green coming back, I feel like everybody started to forget about Tate. They went on by. They had a tough matchup with the, the Ravens. And then they come back here, and this is a great matchup. Now, I feel like we've talked about it a few times that that Raiders pass defense isn't great. So he could have a very good game here. And before those the situation I talked about there, the bye week and that game against the Ravens, he had six straight games with 50 yards or a touchdown. That's Auden Tate had that. that it's very, very impressive. Yeah. I know there was a quarterback change, obviously, but a guy you could consider as potentially a, a borderline wide receiver three in that matchup. And I will also say Ryan Griffin, someone that people, a lot of people are going to be looking for tight ends. Uh, Austin Hooper owners, obviously. Some people who just all year long have been looking for tight ends. And before Herndon came back and he would tried to come back, I suppose we could <laughs> yeah. say last week, Griffin was a full-time player. He was playing on over 90% of the snaps yep. there. And his last two games before Herndon came back, four for 66, five for 50. With Herndon out, he's going to go right back into that role. Could have a shot at top 15 numbers. I think he's definitely in the streamer mix this week. Absolutely, man. I like I like all of those calls. I Mixon, there he's not game script dependent at all. Apparently, when when Ryan Finley is in in the game, so that, that's a that's a great point there. And Auden Tate, whew, that I mean, I I'm, I know you watch the games as well. There are a lot of people that you know they they look at box scores, they don't watch the games, uh, or they you know they watch some of the games but don't catch everything. Auden Tate is. He looks really good. Like he the really contested looks catches, the like yeah. The the eye test, the contested catches, the diving catches, the the sideline grabs, the he looks the part of a very good NFL wide receiver. So I'm excited to watch watch him, you know, not just the rest of the season, but over the next couple of years. Well, that is all for today's show. Go and follow Scott on Twitter at ScottFish24. And even if you're not in the Scott Fishbowl, you could always consider donating to Fantasy Cares. I know Scott said that it's closed for this year, but next year will come around. It will open back up and you can always try to get in the Scott Fishbowl. I know Scott loves when everybody's banging down his door trying to get in. There's going to be so (laughs) many. It'll probably be 2,000 teams next year. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Mind if I, mind if I throw one thing, one other thing in here? Of course. (laughs) So I work, but the company I work for is fanball and we also have dfs uh we have super flex contests every week and and you don't find that a lot out there and uh i'm i'm such a super flex lover that uh if you want to play in some super flex dfs contests uh you can you can head over to fanball.com fantastic i want to thank you for coming back on man i also like i said earlier i just want to thank you for everything you do i think you're inspiring beyond 
fantasy football. You're inspiring everyone to kind of go beyond their bubble and to appreciate what they have and to give back when they can. You're just the best, man. Thanks for coming back on. Oh, thanks a ton. Thanks for having me, man. Remember, you can find all my content on the Score app and by following me on Twitter, at Justin Boone. Big thanks to Scott. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening, and we will see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight.